Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm in the studio with Chris Weingarten, Brendan Klinkenberg, and Simon Vozik Levinson. And we're going to talk about the latest hip hop beef, which is a pretty intense one Pusha T versus Drake. So, who wants to sum up kind of how we got where we got to in this uh, Drake versus Pusha T battle? Um, I can take this one. Um, basically, Pusha T and Drake have been sending each other shots for years now. And it's kind of one of those rap fan like fantasy beefs where you're like, this one would be fun to watch. Pusha um, on his album Daytona, the last track, Infrared, is kind of a long but subdued shot at Drake expressing like the same things people always express when they want to come at Drake, which is centered around ghostwriting and kind of not being a rapper's rapper, which Pusha T is. Drake didn't take kindly to that and released a song called Duppy Freestyle that came out, I think, just a day after Daytona officially dropped. But obviously people had been hearing Daytona for the full week, like the rumors had been started that... Pusha was coming for Drake, and Drake dropped a like straight up diss track, um, the first like open shot that's been fired in this uh, this battle, and then Pusha dropped um, another diss track, which was um, a nuclear. Yeah, it was a real escalation. Um, <laughs> he, it was something that there's no way Drake expected that to be the response. But Pusha basically functioned as an investigative reporter. He dug up a lot of stuff about Drake and said on record that Drake has a child who he won't see. And it blew the internet up. Um, it's all anyone's talked about since. It wasn't very nice. <laughs> it was not It was not nice. Uh, it was surgical. Like he, it was, I've never, I haven't seen a diss track like that in a uh, It's decades. been a really yeah, long time. Like, yeah, I, I don't think years, anyone's, yeah. anyone's done a diss track that has worked that ruthlessly. Truly disrespectful. Uh, so let's maybe start by hearing a little bit of Infrared. How could you ever write these wrongs when you don't even write your songs? But let us all play along. We all know what niggas for real been waiting on. Push. And then let's hear Drake's response, Duppy Freestyle. Yeah. Your brother said it was your cousin and him and you. So you don't rap what you did, you just rap what you knew. Don't be ashamed, there's plenty niggas that do what you do. There's no malice in your heart, you an approachable dude. Man, you might have sold the college kids for Nike and Mercedes, but you act like you sold drugs for Escobar in the 80s. I had a microphone of yours, but then the signature faded. I think that pretty much resembled... And Push's response was... The story of Adenon. Sophie knows better as your baby mother. Cleaned her up for IG, but the stench is on her. A baby's involved, it's deeper than rap. We talking character, let me keep with the facts. You are hiding a child, let that boy come home. Deadbeat motherfucker playing border patrol. Ooh, Adonis is your son. Good lord. So, just to take a step back, let's situate. This is a very interesting battle because of where Drake and where Pusha T kind of stand in the pantheon of rap. Who wants to take that and kind of just kind of break down for people who might not be following it as closely, like what they kind of stand for? Because it's very different things. Well, Drake is a pop star. He's arguably the biggest rapper out right now. Incredibly popular. His streaming numbers are off the charts. Pusha is, as Brendan said, a rapper's rapper, someone who is respected for his lyricism, his skills, not necessarily for his sales. That's not what he's about. So they, they represent sort of two deeply opposed camps in not just rap, but in music in general. But Drake's thing is he wants it all. He, he's, he could just kind of sit back and be a rapper who makes 
who also sings and makes a lot of pop hits and isn't kind of going for the crown of greatest rapper right. or street cred. And every, every once in a while, Drake will emerge and be like, oh, I can I can rap you know, as as well as anyone, you know, in a, in the traditional sense of what rapping was, and you know, he you know he gets good uh, traction for it, but you know, he also gets uh, the accusations of ghostwriting and and whatnot. Well, he, my understanding is, so there's this guy Quentin who there's uh sort of there's like demo tracks leaked of him doing Drake verses and Drake doesn't deny that that's he says like Quentin helped him out a little bit like basically but he was helping Quentin by letting him write for him but you know that it's not like he actually denies it right it's just yeah. more and, it's than, not, yeah. and there's a long history of of this in in rap music to begin with like, well yeah you know Quentin Miller was a credited songwriter on that album right, he, right. he's getting royalties off of that he's the Holland Dozier Holland of OVO and what? and we and we they already litigated this in the Meek Mill beef that was like Drake's had this come up before. It didn't stick then. That's not really the thing that's going to stick now. No, the, it got a lot worse <laughs> yeah, this time. It got yeah. a lot worse. So, I mean, Simon has pointed out when people, because someone said, you know, music journalism fell short, like basically the music journalist should have dug up Drake's alleged child. Now, I, I don't buy that. Now, number one, if any music journalist, quote unquote, music journalist started digging into Drake's private life and tried to break the story of his of his child, they'd be like, you're not doing music journalism or even really journalism. You're being like a TMZ guy. Number one. Number two, as the other thing, as, as Simon others pointed out, this this was already out there. This rumor, you know. Right. So so the rumor about Drake and his his possible uh, unacknowledged child was, in fact, reported by tabloid reporters, by sites like TMZ and Bossip, uh, which is sort of where it belongs. I think it's not a great look for an investigative reporter. It is a good look for a rapper who's engaged in a battle. <laughs> and him, for and sure. what, what Drake, to be clear, what Drake's people said at the time is he was not, they actually said this, they, they gave the statement, which is he was not convinced this child was his, but if he, he were to be convinced, he would do the right thing. So this is, so, but weirdly people weren't paying enough attention. So when Pusha brought it up, and you know, <laughs> and brought it up in 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 a really brutal fashion. Adonis is your son; he deserves more than an Adidas press run. So people really kind of just took a step back. And then the other aspect was sort of extra musical, where he dug up this photo that turns out to be a real photo of of Drake in blackface. Now this appeared to be an art statement of some sort that Drake was making. Right? He was trying that, or so he so he says that he he was he was trying to make a statement. I guess it never came out. It wasn't like he was just, you know, <laughs> donning blackface for fun, but it, it was people were, I think, more stunned by that than almost even the, the kid thing. Right. Yeah. When I first saw it, I thought it was photoshopped and I was like, wow. Um, but it turns out it was a real photo that Pusha dug up. Uh, Drake's statement on that was that he was an actor at the time trying to get roles and felt like he was being typecast. And this was like his big like artistic statement on how black actors are still typecast in uh, I guess minstrelly roles. Push's response to that explanation was just like, you never talk about social issues. You never talk about um, anything related to the black community. Well, what was the statement about? Like, who? why would anyone care what your explanation is? Um, you got famous since then and never made a statement like this since. Um, but yeah, really shocking image to 
dig up, um, it was crazy that it was real. That was, I think, the the big thing that everyone was so surprised by. Pusha's statement was basically like, "I'm not an internet baby. Like, I basically, I don't know how to use Photoshop. Like, <laughs> I found this photo. You know, at the same time, he's apparently got the world's best photo researchers that you know digging this up. You know, it's it, it's uh, the the issue here now is whether is it possible that Drake will decide that the better part of valor is to not respond? He's been advised as such by some, yeah, that would certainly be OG a people. smart move. That would certainly, I mean, there's, you know, there's no way I, I can't fathom any way that you could recover from such a, uh, a surgical, uh, you know, m- micro, micro attack, like just completely took him apart. Well, so Drake brought up, Push the name of Push's fiance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that was Push's kind of rationale for you cross the line. I'm gonna. The problem with you know, if you're gonna keep crossing lines, is it get it? You know, if he decides to respond with something that's just unfathomably offensive, like where does it? It's just it, it's da- it, it gets dangerous on a lot of levels. On sort of you know, it, it just seems like not a good idea. I don't know. I think it's over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that. Uh, Kanye tweeted that it's all love now, and I think that there have been conversations off record about where this goes, and I don't think that Drake releases another song. Um, he has an album to put out. Pusha says he has more stuff. Um, I think that a bigger problem in this for Drake is that there's not a whole lot to dig up about Pusha, and not a whole lot of people are aware of Pusha as like a celebrity, so there's not that much to respond with. He has so much more to lose than Pusha T does. Well, his a part of his original diss of Pusha was like you were. While I acknowledge that you were a drug dealer, you were perhaps <laughs> not as grimy a drug dealer as you claim to be. That was basically yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, crux of his attack. Yeah, yeah. yeah Pusha yeah, T yeah. has nothing to lose. He raps about being a drug dealer. Um, he's kind of he's again like a rapper's rapper. This is the most famous he has ever been, um, and it's because he eviscerated Drake and says that he can do it again if this continues. The funny thing, people have always, the one kind of complaint about Push is like, could you please rap about something besides cocaine? And it's like, fine, I'll rap about Drake. <laughs> like, and, that, and apparently that was all that, that was needed. But but yeah, Push is, part of what's happening is Push who was always, like you said, a rapper's rapper and a critic's favorite, um, but was, you know, kind of to a certain extent stayed that way i mean the the the, cl- the clips had famously had horrendous troubles with jive their label that impeded their career uh so it's it's kind of ironic that at this point in his career he's the you know he's the biggest he's ever been probably yeah, it's yeah. surprising we've never you like this is one of those things like we're now starting to see rappers in their 40s and each one is a new thing to rap like we've just never had an old rapper or like yeah. a rapper in middle age and Pusha T is just charting out a very interesting third act to his career right yeah. now. You know, the, yeah, there's no model for J- for for Jay-Z. There's no model for Eminem at this age. Like it's 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 not it's not a luxury or a luxury era. It's not a challenge that like, you know, Cool Mo D was had to overcome. We should actually hear the Eclipse's Grindin' which is such a great song, a Neptune's produced song from I think 2002. From ghetto to ghetto, the backyard to yard, I sell it with one whip, it's off the hard. I'm the neighborhood pusher, call me subwoofer, cause I pump bass like that jack. Maybe just briefly talk about the legend of the clips, cause that, that was really, uh, Chris, that, that, <laughs> I imagine that's territory for you. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, the clips uh, came out, uh, you know, produced by the Neptunes, uh, Worked with uh, Pharrell and Chad before they were famous, and uh, you know, in in Virginia Beach, and 
you know, came out at the absolute peak of uh, the Neptunes making weird, uh, you know, sideways avant funk for the future. And, you know, they came out on top of that with these very uh, Baroque labyrinthine rhymes about selling cocaine. And, uh, you know, the... The first record uh, was was really big in uh, rap circles. The second record, once they uh, changed labels, uh, was really big in in hipster circles. And uh, you know, Pusha has has maintained uh, this this career that sort of careens in between those two worlds. And then maybe we could talk about we touched on Drake's desire to have it all to also want to be seen as a a great sort of rapper qua rapper like just not just one one of the biggest artists in the world he he, he really and I, I find it admirable that he kind of doesn't he's not satisfied with just his the actual his his commercial success and his you know and, and the the sort of pop excellence of his music that he also wants to push in that in that direction is it is this possibly the end of him kind of striving for that kind of recognition? I don't see that because I, I think it's so core to what he what he wants. What do you think, Simon? I think in, in some sense that ship has already sailed. I, I think early in Drake's career, he used to say that he was the greatest rapper. Or he was going to be the greatest rapper a lot more often. Now it's more like just a little taste that he sprinkles into his raps. Most of the time he's talking about how great his life is, his love life, how rich he is, how successful he is. Great and, slash miserable. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, I think from this point onward, Drake is going to continue talking about how great it is to be Drake, how much he enjoys life, what a, a great popular entertainer he is, maybe complain about women in his life, and maybe a little less frequently, even less frequently, say that he's the greatest rapper. But I don't think he needs to anymore what do you think Brennan? um i think that uh drake's big achilles heel is how much he pays attention to what everyone is saying about him um i think that a another person in his position would not engage with someone like push a t but drake reads like all the rap blogs like it's a very like well-documented thing i think that's his big strength in a lot of ways because he's up on the new stuff all the time but it's also a weakness when he like decides that he needs to prove stuff to people who he's never going to prove that he's the best rapper alive. Like, it's just a, it's just not really a thing that like the people that decide that are never going to go for Drake. And at the same time, to be clear, like he's really great at what he does. Yeah, like, you know, sure. and, and, a, and a great rapper, like not, a, not, not like he's a bad rapper. Either. He's a really great rapper. Um, when he turns it on, um, I think that it's probably because he knows no one will consider him the best rapper alive that he wants that kind of distinction. Um, and the I, distinction is that he has to turn it on, whereas Pusha T is it all the time. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's Pusha definitely, T's entire yeah. career is like, watch me say this bugged out stuff. You know, watch me find this uh, unique way to. to yeah, Bush has never had the versatility that Drake does. He's never honestly been interested in it. But um, I don't think that if Pusha one day was like, oh, I'm just gonna write a pop song that it would go go great. Um, it would not go great. Drake can do both things. Um, and I think he's split between what he wants. Um, obviously, the money will win out for him, I think. He's certainly raised hackles with his attempts to to claim the, the greatest rapper title. I mean, Kendrick made a point. When I interviewed Kendrick Lamar last year, he made a point of saying uh, that, that the... I mean, kind of elaborating on a lyric from his album, but that that you can't call yourself the greatest rapper of all time or the greatest rapper out there. And use a ghostwriter, which was, is, is pretty pointed. Uh, you know, you know who he's talking about among other people, although he was, he was pretty careful not to be specific. 
Right. But I think, you know, to the listener, it almost doesn't matter, right? Drake is the greatest rapper in the way that Frank Sinatra was the greatest singer. It's not about songwriting. It's about performance and presence. And he has that, I think, in terms of... So he is the greatest rapper of all time. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's there are different ways to measure who's great. And I think in terms of, you know, pop success, smoothness, Drake is on a level that even Kendrick is not quite on. I, I think that's true. I think we, you know. Yeah, we've changed our metric, you know, over the last 40 years. Like, the metric to decide this has changed. Right. And, you know, like guys like Pusha T, guys like Meek Mill, they still work in a model that would have worked in 1993. Right. But I think the answer is they can, both models can be great, right? I, yes. I enjoyed listening to Pusha's record and Drake's record. But there's also maybe a difference between, you know, <laughs> it doesn't scan as well, maybe, but you could say the, the greatest hip hop artist, you could try to go for that title. I think greatest rapper is a very specific thing and I see what Kendrick's saying and I don't you don't for you sure yeah, yeah definitely yeah. if we're talking about you know lyrical depth and originality obviously Kendrick beats almost anyone out there by a mile uh, but I think there as, as we're saying there are different metrics different it, ways it, to be great it was pretty funny that Kendrick was up getting his Pulitzer Prize while uh <laughs> while, while this beef was go like going down like <laughs> 40 flows below him like he literally was up on a like the, the i don't know where but like someplace with a lot of steps in washington dc like <laughs> like receiving his prize and he's like all right you, you guys enjoy your beef right anyway so you're listening to rolling stone music now we've been talking about Pusha t and drake and we'll be right back with more what's up everyone it's reality steve your number one source for all things bachelor nation and reality tv every day i'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your bachelor nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars my name has been synonymous with spoilers but i'm so much more than that give me a listen the reality steve podcast part of the believe network just search b-l-e-a-v on youtube or wherever you listen we were talking about Pusha T and Drake. Thought we'd broaden it out and talk about some of our favorite slash greatest hip hop beefs of the past, and there've been a lot of them. Do you have Do you have a favorite, Chris, or do you have one that 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 seems emblematic? Because I'm sure you have a lot of favorites. Do you have one that that helps set the template that you love, or what what would what would you want to talk about there? <laughs> well, you know, all, all my favorite diss tracks. Uh, came out in the 80s and 90s, but I, I do think that it, it goes without saying that the uh, the Jay-Z Nas beef is the template that Pusha is using, it, where, uh, you know, y- you sort of just slowly pick apart someone piece by piece and, you know, leave them hardly any chance to to come back. Jay-Z really took apart Nas. Like, Jay-Z was the absolute, one of the most savage uh, battle diss track creators uh, of of all time. Well, pull back. Remind everyone how that particularly because that that's a big one we should spend i don't even remember how it started how did that one even start that was after another one where after years of sort of lingering hostilities and subliminal shots at each other throughout the 90s it sort of finally boiled over in diss tracks in 2001 yeah yeah it was all based around being the best rapper in new york like king of new york was like still like now that's not really a title anyone holds yeah um but back then it was a huge deal it was uh, about being are you saying six, yeah are you saying takashi six nine is not the king of new york right now uh, no no <laughs> You know, but, you know, he he even went in to sort of, you know, discuss 
how you would arrive at deciding who was the best. And he just like did like an album by album breakdown of Nas, yes. like you know, like the Rolling Stone album guy version <laughs> of Nas's catalog. And uh, it was just absolutely ridiculous. And then you know, Nas came back famously with Ether, a a song. Well, let's let's oh. hear let's hear Jay's song uh, Takeover. And then, yeah, so that spawned Ether, so go ahead. Ether, which is now part of the vocabulary of rap music. The word Ether, you know, means to savagely destroy and end uh, a beef battle. Uh, ironically, it actually did not do that uh, because then 50, or 50, uh, Jay-Z returned uh, with Super Ugly, which... <laughs> which is maybe the first, uh, which is people are holding up as an example of maybe when an MC went too far in a diss battle. And, well, let's, and let's hear Ether for a minute. Fuck with your soul like Ether. Teach you the king, you know you. Godson across the belly. I prove you lost the ready. Brace yourself for the main event. Y'all impatiently waiting. It's like an AIDS test. What's the And yes, Super Ugly. Super Ugly was the one that Jay-Z's mom made him apologize for. That is correct. That is correct, yes. And, uh, you know, I, I can definitely see Pusha T's mom maybe wanting to <laughs> wanting to have him uh, pay, pay Drake a little phone call. Um, but, yeah, like, I mean, that was the model for major label rappers to just push it to the absolute end. And uh, I think that's, you know, people, you know, like Brendan was saying, like, that and then the 50s Ja Rule beef were like the last times they really took them apart piece by piece like that. And people seemed really shocked at this Pusha thing just because it hasn't happened in so long. Well, let's go back to uh, the takeover. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, he there was like a, a mathematical uh, <laughs> degree to which he took them apart. You know, he, he, he named uh, Nas's album and he said that's a one hot album every 10 year average, which is one of the, you know, truly one of the most brutal lines probably in the history of hip hop. I mean, it, I can, I can probably come up with a few. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to talk oh, about, sure. if you want to talk about, uh, Luke bust down and, uh, JT money releasing pussy ass <laughs> kid and ho ass play, I think we can, <laughs> but, uh, as far as like precise laser accuracy disses, that's really good. And then super ugly. What? Where did he cross the line there? Uh, when he said he uh, skeeted on uh, <laughs> on Nas's baby seat in the back of no, no, no. He 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 left condoms on the baby oh, seat. Oh, he, he he skeeted in the Jeep generally. Oh, okay, yeah, got it. So it. Possibly, it's unclear where the yeah, so, yes. So apparently, Jay's mom was like was like that's, that's disgusting. Too far, yeah, right. yeah, but it, so, it's yeah. important to bear that history in mind, right? When people say that Pusha went too far by right. bringing up Drake's you know alleged family ties, it, I think there's a long history of rappers saying really flagrant, you know, offensive, personally disrespectful things. Absolutely, in the of beef. I mean, yeah, I mean, and you can find them, you know, morally indefensible. You can you can find them retrograde politically and and uh, you know <laughs> not in lines with the prevailing uh, political sentiment of the time. But 
it is uh, how you win a beef a lot of times. Something else I'll say about Jay-Z and Nas is that six or seven years after that, Nas was signed to Jay-Z's uh, yeah, label, recording yeah, albums with him. They were buddies. Yeah, this is all water way, way, way under right. the bridge. So, yeah. you know, we, we may see the day when Pusha and Drake make an album together. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that'd be a great record, actually. And in fact, come to think of it, because this one went so far... That seems like the possibly the only real conclusion, actually. Right, it's, and yeah. and at root, I mean, Drake is a Pusha fan. There's famously a, a mm -hmm. clip of him talking on on MTV about buying an autographed microphone that Pusha had signed. He loved the clips growing up, which he he actually references in this song, the autograph faded or whatever. Yeah, so right. I mean, not to put too obvious a point on it, but I mean, there was a time when rap beef got really dangerous, famously, and and so I mean, it it did unnerve me a little bit the bloodthirsty way that people were like i mean obviously drake is doesn't have that type of personal history but there's something a little ominous to me about people like being like yeah now he should say something even more insanely disrespectful let's see where this goes i was like be, you know maybe don't egg this on too much there's an there's an aspect to being a rap fan that's very similar to like watching sports or watching professional Res yeah, wrestling, wrestling in particular yeah, um where you now have your teams um i think that Obviously, especially in the 90s, like beef became like an actual real world, like ended in violence and death. I don't think that anyone believes that Pusha T and Drake are going to uh, physically attack each other. No, I don't think so. But but it just there's something about the the rooting on that sometimes that makes me a little uncomfortable. They're just people are like, like, yeah, now he should say something really crazy to push a T. It's like, well, maybe, you know, maybe that's why that's why I think it's so like adult that they were that that certain people came in and were like, you know what, you maybe you shouldn't respond. That's probably the smartest thing. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think ever since uh, I think ever since Pac and Big, like I think that there has been uh, a concerted effort to squash beef, and I think that like you know there there are reasons to squash beef and reasons to uh, you know we can have good records and uh, but you know it doesn't need to to last forever. I do I do love. Uh, the you know the DJ Quick MC8 beef ended with Quick being like maybe we could do a record someday if you uh, <laughs> you know if you you figure it out. It's sort of like feel free to call and write at any time, like Trump wrote to to, to North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and another thing I think is really important that no one has really talked about is uh, the 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 circuit of battle rap that has been going on for uh you know for years but as a sort of organized sport for the last 15 years and it doesn't get uh the type of publicity or you know none of these none of these rappers who perform in these battles ever become uh recording artists that 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 earn fame but they are the absolute cutting edge in destroying their opponents yeah there's these two guys there's there's like uh this thing that people are passing around that I think is from the circuit you're talking about, the Jefferson Price versus Caustic. And one of the guys literally, and I think we can, we'll play a little bit of that. One of the guys literally on stage in front of everyone exposes the, the guy for cheating on his fiance with no warning and says the name of the fiance and the name of the woman he cheated with. And you can see the shock and horror <laughs> on the guy's face. And so this has been, this has gone viral as one of, you're the exact motherfucker I hate acting like a cocky bastard. Then go home to your fat fiance, Carly, after you just got done opening condom wrappers with that fucking bitch, Holly masters. <laughs> they say it's more disrespectful than any famous rap beef. Cause he just ruined the guy's life. Our life. And supposedly the wedding got called off and everything. Wow. So it turns yeah. out these, these two unknowns, maybe the, but Brendan, what, what beefs of the past 
are close to your heart? What do you What do you love? Um, I would say uh, my era is a little bit past the Jay and Nas beef, but uh, Fifty Cent was the master of beefing with everyone, um, and kind of the last gasp for beefs to like still sell records. Um, and Fifty Cent could end a career with a beef. He ended several careers. Um, most famously, Ja Rule, um, yeah. who really had his his run ended there. Um, it's unclear. Like, 50 will take all the credit for that. <laughs> That's probably not true. That's really how he made his name, was by calling out everyone that he could. Um, and he's just the funniest rapper. He was really charming, even when he was uh, saying all this stuff. Well, the 50 thing was always, and Ja Rule thing was always fascinating to me, because 50 always struck me as more poppy than he would kind of acknowledge that, that that his debut was actually full of pop hooks that, that was actually directly competing in its way in its way mm-hmm. with Ja Rule and so but it's like he occluded that by going so hard at Ja Rule while simultaneously taking his place on the charts there's something really funny about that too. yeah it was a it was a real strategic uh master stroke was kind of coming up as the street rapper making fun of the pop rapper and then his debut album which could conceivably it's like a gangster rap classic but it's also like a straight up pop album yeah, and it's funny that the limit of that, the limit of 50 Cent's posturing as, you know, the the the, the hardest gangster rapper out there is, was Kanye West's, uh, you know, self-eviscerating personal diary, uh, you know, when they went up and up against each other in, in 2007, and, you know, which obviously was the influence for Drake. The thing about the 50 and Javif that I find interesting is that now with the benefit of hindsight and history, if you compare their track records, I'm not sure it's clear that 50 actually made more of an impact on history than Ja did. They both had a substantial number of hits. They both uh, were super popular in their day. Neither of them is seen as one of the greatest rappers ever now. I think you would also maybe find that a lot of Ja's hits have more replay value in 2018 than 50s. He was very much a product of his time. There's a reason he was as popular as he was, and there's a reason that that run ended. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I think they're at least neck and neck in terms of long-term pop impact. <laughs> Neither of them were thinking that far ahead. <laughs> this is reminding me of when I interviewed Ashanti around that time, and her quote to every question was basically like, yeah, it's bananas. <laughs> I mean, it was in her defense. And it was, it was bananas. She had so many hits. It was bananas. I mean, she was, she was right. Uh, Simon, what, what, what beefs are close to your heart? Well, the Jay-Z and Nas beef is certainly one that's close to my heart as someone who was, you know, a high schooler in New York when that happened. It was certainly, it was really dramatic. Uh, one of my favorite uh, individual diss tracks is Common's The Bitch In You when he went to Ice Cube back in the 90s. This is long before Common was sort of the happy, smiley, friendly guy wearing a sweater who Starbucks goes to for their uh, racial sensitivity training back when Common was mad. He was he went pretty personal and pretty hard against uh, Ice Cube and it's a, it's a classic song. A bitch snigger with an attitude named Q Step to the calm with a few Now what the fuck I look like this in our whole coast You ain't made shit dope since America's most Wanted to see from the Midwest to the East On the dick of the East Yeah, that feels pretty incongruous and also, in theory, feels unwise that Kama would go after Ice Cube. But at the time, I guess it made sense. It made sense. It raised his profile at the time. And they did eventually squash that beef. Now they're both Hollywood actors. Chris was going to go back and talk about sort of the beginning of rap (laughs) beef. Where did it all start? Well, you know, hip hop in general, since its earliest days, was a competitive art form, like based in this idea of, of 
competing crews, uh, you know, jockeying for for position. And, you know, it, it started with DJ battles and, you know, there, you know, there were battles of uh, breakdancing prowess. There were battles uh, to see whose sound system was louder, you know, and it was all basically to decide who was a better crew. And then, you know, when emceeing uh, came into the equation, there was, uh, you know, you started seeing routines and, and you know, this, this kind of, uh, you know, theatrical aspect to sort of... Uh, you know, carry this over. And people always point to uh, the uh, the most iconic battle of the early days was uh, Busy B versus Cool Mo D at uh, the uh, uh, what is it, Christmas Rappers Convention. And I think that was the tail end of 81? It was 81 or 82. And, uh, you know, you listen to it and, you know, Busy B uh, comes out and completely rocks the crowd, you know, doing his, uh, you know, his, his, his ba wa da ba bit that you may uh, recognize years later in uh, a, a particular Kid Rock song. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he does a, a, a fantastic job handling a crowd. And then Cool Modi comes out and just destroys him and picks it apart and even, you know, says that he bought that... Uh, that ba wa da ba stuff from Sp- from Spoonie G. Uh, so you know this you know was traded on cassette tape and became like the legendary battle, like the legendary beef that would uh, eventually prove you know the model and and beef as a you know a, an important aspect of, of hip hop itself. And the uh, it really started getting interesting once you started putting records in the equation and started putting economics in the equation and records that, uh, you know, you could call out someone on a record and then sell that record and, and make money. And, you know, obviously you can watch right now on Netflix, uh, the great movie about uh, Roxanne Chante. You know, she uh, was a teenager and uh, wrote an an answer record uh, in the great tradition of of answer records that, that goes back to you know the fifties and beyond, uh, and you know basically tore apart UTFO uh, and you know got her name dissing another group. So let's hear Roxanne Roxanne, which was the, the UTFO song. Yo, EMD, yeah, what's up, man? That girl they call Roxanne, she's all stuck up. Why you say that? Cause you wouldn't give a guy like me no rap. Man, she was walking down the street, so I said, hey, though, I'm can't go from your teeth. And then uh, let's hear Roxanne's revenge. I met this dude with the name of a hat. I didn't even walk away. I didn't give him no rap. But then he got real mad and he got a little tired. If he worked for me, you know he would be fired. What are some other ones of the 80s and 90s, some other rap pieces of the 80s and 90s? Well, the biggest and and most uh, transformative, I feel, is uh, The Bridge Wars of, uh, of circa 86, 87. It was basically Boogie Down Productions who, you know, KRS-One was completely reinventing flow, completely... Uh, you know, reinventing the subject matter that 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 rappers talk about versus the Juice Crew, who was like the funkiest, uh, most uh, you know, they're super popular uh, crew, which included 
MC Shan, uh, Marley Marl, uh, Roxanne Shante, and uh, you know MC Shan uh, dropped the bridge, uh, and you know where he basically. Uh, you know, just talked about how how much he he loved hearing hip hop growing up in his native Queensbridge, and KRS uh, took that as a, uh, a a a piece of revisionist history, uh, uprooting uh, you know hip hop's uh, origins in the Bronx, and just started writing these savage diss tracks, uh, <laughs> you know. Where he not only, you know, went after MC Shan, he went after, uh, you know, people in his posse one by one. He, uh, you know, laid out a history lesson for anyone who didn't know about the Bronx. And it's like, you know, to, uh, you know, uh, you know, rap music was just getting out to places outside of New York and L.A. And so it's like he not only destroyed I mean he didn't you know, not you know he not only went after the juice crew but he provided that context for you know a ton of teenagers who didn't know the history and let's hear MC Shan's the bridge you love to hear the story again and again of how it all got started way back when the monument is right in your face sit and listen for a while to the name of the place the bridge the bridge the bridge the bridge is over was actually the I think the second boogie down production. Yeah, the first the, one was South, South Bronx. Bronx. So let's hear South Bronx. So you think that hip hop had its start out in Queensbridge? If you pop that junk up in the Bronx, you might not live because you're in South Bronx. And now it's here, the bridge is over. If you want to join a crew, well, you must see me. You can't sound like Shan or the one Marley. Because Shan and Marley Marl and my rhyme and like the gay. Picking up the mic, man, and don't know what so, to say. And, well, let me, yeah. let me, and, yeah. and it continued because yeah. then, you know, Roxanne Shante did Have a Nice Day. MC Shan did Kill That Noise. And these are all, like, great rap records in addition to just being, you know, Beef, like you know, like the you know the pusha thing is a clever piece of of rap writing. But these were records; these were marketed as you know twelve inch singles that you had to buy. And the the economy became such that there were like there was a whole economy of answer records to the answer records, especially with the Roxanne Wars. There were so many uh, you know fly by night Roxanne records. You know uh, Roxanne's a man and Roxanne's doctor, and you know even uh, you know. MC Mishki's uh, Brooklyn Blew Up the Bridge and, uh, you know, this whole, like, shadow economy of rap records getting on to this, to these disc records. And it's just, like, it created this, like, such a vibrant, uh, you know, discussion and world before we started using words like meme. When did things start getting really intense? Was it, was Ice Cube versus NWA the, the first like really, really intense thing where it felt really fraught with, you know, <laughs> potential violence or potential whatever? I mean, I would say that, you know, the Ice Cube thing, when Ice Cube went after NWA, I think he was more pilloried for the use of, uh, you know, anti-Semitism and homophobia, which all of which added to the uh, intensity of of his disses. Uh, I don't know if anyone actually thought it would come to violence. I think the first time, you know, the earliest that I can think uh, 
of uh, a diss track where you hear it and you're like, wow, man, this guy really shouldn't be fucking saying this, <laughs> is uh, Tim Dog's Fuck Compton. And uh, an absolute amazing track. Let's hear a little bit of that. Let's get right down to the nitty gritty and talk about a bullshit city. Talking about niggas from Compton. They're no comp and they truly ain't stomping. Tim Dog, a black man's task. Absolutely amazing track. Uh, you know, a complete uh, left hook from from New York City that that ended up, you know, spawning songs that would be on the Chronic and uh, you know, Dr. Dre's you know tectonic shifting the Chronic, and that's a good example of of <laughs> something that feels like it went too far. Uh, and obviously, uh, Tupac was a, an absolute. Uh, master of going too far uh hit him up his his diss track with biggie begins with i fucked your bitch you fat motherfucker and ends with him again not nice not nice and ends with him uh you know making fun of prodigy from mob deep making fun of his sickle cell you know it's it's uh vicious vicious venomous stuff and it, it did you know ultimately whether tied to those uh, to that beef or not, ultimately ended in in uh, uh, violence. Uh, though you know the the exact causes are certainly disputed, but you know that is the that is the moment that you know people were like, okay, this needs to stay on wax. This cannot this cannot leave the recording booth. Do you share my fondness for uh, LL Cool J as a battle rapper? Oh man, amazing, Jack the Ripper. Um, was amazing, you know, and a B side, B side to going back to Cali was him just uh, destroying uh, Cool Modi, a legend in his time, and uh, you know, LL Cool J's entire persona was was just basically battle rapping the world, and uh, you know that is a, a phenomenal thing. His battle with cannabis is, you know, a great example of a battle like actually destroying one of the people in the battle. I mean, he, he, he destroyed cannabis. Cannabis was like never heard from again. I just, I kind of disagree with that. I mean, I didn't, and not about cannabis hey. never being, you know, I think the beats on the cannabis record helped destroy cannabis, <laughs> but, um, you know, can, cannabis's attack on LL for that one, I feel, uh, was the pinnacle in, in that he got, LL's friend Mike Tyson to be on the record <laughs> and <laughs> you know like really uh, you know and it's, it's almost like a Pusha T Drake situation in that at the time like LL was hey lover he was this kind of uh, he was crossing over into this R&B territory and here comes Cannabis a rapper's rapper if there ever was one and uh, you know just going after his, his new fan base go, you know going after the you know the fact that that women listen to his to LL Cool J's music. So the the name of the cannabis track that we should hear is, was, uh, is, is not four three two one. Second, second round, round KO. Cap. Yeah, second, second round, round KO. KO. So let's hear second round KO. You walk around showing off your body because it sells. Plus to avoid the fact that you ain't got scales. Mad at me because I kick that shit real, nigga. Spell. When 99% of your fans wear high heels. From Ice T to Kumo D to Jay Z. Now you want to fuck with me? You must be crazy. You dripping with wax juice and you can't get it off. You better and then, you know, 
to me, the moment when I would argue that he destroyed cannabis was with the line 99, because he had, cannabis had, had suggested that all his fans were women. Yeah, so 99% of your fans wear high heels. And then, so he said 99% of your fans don't exist. That's correct. Which is pretty <laughs> definitive. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a good, that's a good knockout blow from, from from cool James. Uh, but apparently but, you know, but like, recently said that he, he wants to work with cannabis, but first you have to find him. But. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like the, you know, and it's like at the time, like that was such a fun beef because, you know, we, you know, we were just after, uh, you know, Biggie's death was 97. This was 98 where it was like, Oh, this is what it's about. These guys are just going to keep it on record. You know, these guys are, are going to do this in a, in a, in you know, this classic way. And it's like a refreshing uh, way to to hear that. I, I still think it's like one of the most, you know, it's definitely one of the all-time best beefs. Right. It showed, because there could have been a world in which after that happened, hip-hop beef could have itself sort of died because it seemed too risky. And that, that immediately showed it could return to its uh, its old way of doing it. Yes. But... All right. Any any final thoughts on, on uh, hip-hop beefs? Guys, are we good? I really want to, I really wish I can... Uh, Shout out my favorite beef line in history. Do it. So yeah, my favorite uh, my favorite beef line of all time is uh, DJ Quick's Dollars Sense, where he goes after uh, MC8, and uh, this is such a such a beautiful, precise, uh, masterful line. Uh, giving your set a bad name with your misspelled name. E-I-H-T. Now, should I continue? Yeah, you left out the G because the G ain't in you. <laughs> Brutal. So, on that note, this has been Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Brian Hyatt, and I had Chris Weingarten, Brendan Klinkenberg, and Simon Vozik levinson in the studio. Thanks for being here. And we'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's Volume, Channel 106, at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us as a podcast. Maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes if you liked it, or leave a mean review. I read them all. And thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.